Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Three portions of scriptures we'll look at. If you want to get, get ready to look at them, we'll look in Luke 22, but before we do that, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. We're studying redemption. We're in what we call the meat of the, of the redemptive process. And I'm taking my time going through this very meticulously because I want you to have revelation of how big this really is. Nothing greater, nothing bigger, nothing more grand, nothing more important has ever happened on planet earth than what we're talking about right now. This is it. Everybody say, this is it. Thank God for creation. Thank God for the, uh, the flood and the, how humanity was preserved. Thank God for Abraham. Thank God for David. Thank God for all of the things that happened in the Bible. But this is the pinnacle. This sits on the throne. This is it. This is the thing that God did for us that is beyond measure. It's beyond measure. This is what will keep us in eternity forever. This also gives us purpose for eternity. Not only that, it gives us victory here on the earth. It breaks the curse and the bondage of the human family and puts us in God's family. Oh, how glorious. How glorious that is. Heaven is our home. It's a city that we've never been to, but it belongs to us as much as any city we've ever lived in. I like that, that, you know, to understand that heaven is so glorious and so grand that if there was a lot of information in the, in the Bible about it, uh, we'd be really less resistant to death. Amen? Because we'd know how glorious it would be to be in heaven. Nobody that's ever gone there has ever wanted to come back. And every person that's ever been there and come back came back kicking and screaming. I used to preach camp meetings. What was that guy's name? Gary Wood. Gary Woods. And Gary was killed in a car accident coming back from a, a, a Baptist Bible, Bible school that he was attending. He, he and his sister were in a horrific a car accident. And he went through the windshield and cut his throat all the way back to his, to his backbone. That's pretty bad. Amen. And lying there dead, lying there dead, he arrived in heaven. He said it was glorious. He said it was undescribable. No way to describe it. And as he stood there in heaven, Jesus walked up to him and said, you'll have to go back. He said, I don't want to go back. He said, you'll have to go back. He said, I don't want to go back. The third time he said, you'll have to go back. And he reached over and pulled back as if it were a veil. And he said, she's using that name. And her, his sister was standing over his dead body saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Gary went right back into his body. He came back, God healed him. His vocal cords were completely like you would take a fillet knife and slice them in half. He was told he would never speak, never sing, never communicate. And not only does he preach like a man from another planet, he can sing like an opera singer with his vocal cords split in half. Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Everybody say servant. And was made in the likeness of men 
and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now let me, there's two words that jump out at me real quick. And that is the word servant and humble or humility. Now, for years and years and years in ministry, I, I felt like, and, and many other ministers that I'm associated with and know that are my friends, the conclusion of lack of knowledge. People need knowledge. They need information. That's why we've got such you know, turmoil that we have. That's why we've got such problems in the earth is a lack of knowledge. People need the knowledge of the Word of God. They need the knowledge of salvation. The Bible says people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But I'm telling you, I've come more and more to the conclusion that it's really not a lack of knowledge. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm telling you the knowledge of the Word of God is all over the earth. It's printed, it's preached, it's been through the airways, it's on the internet. There is no lack of knowledge in this earth. I'm telling you the real problem we face now is rebellion and a lack of humility. I'm telling you the earth is rebelling against the fall. It's rebel. Humanity is rebel. I mean, we see it ever. Even our, look at the rebellion in our government right now. Come on, man. We ought to get together and govern the nation instead of fight over politics. But there's such rebellion in people to rebel against anything that is not like them. And God knew that that rebellion... You know, in, in, in Noah's day, the Bible talks about the rebellion that was on the earth and out of rebellion comes violence. Amen? And the Bible says that the whole world was violent. So you've got to understand, God wants us free from rebellion because rebellion many times carries with it the spirit of deception. And people are deceived. And the world thinks the more pride you have. Let me tell you, God hates pride. God hates pride in any form. You say, well, I'm proud of the cowboys. I'm proud of the... God hates pride. You say, what does He like? He loves thankfulness. God requires thankfulness and not pride. Now, the whole earth right now, here we are in the day that Jesus did what? He steps out of everything that heaven is and who He is in heaven. He is as much God as God is God. In definition, in the Trinity, He is God the Word. God the Father, God the Word, and God the Spirit. And God the Word steps out of heaven takes upon him the form of a servant, humbles himself. You say, humbles himself to what? The will of the Father. See, that's never been a good word, especially in America, submission. But Jesus in his heart had perfect submission. The Bible says unto us, submit ourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee, flee from us. We've got to learn that we have to submit ourselves to God. Jesus right here in this scripture is in total submission by coming out of heaven, by taking on the form of a servant, by humbling himself. Now notice this. Now it it gets better. Everybody say better. And being found in fashion, verse 8, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now can you imagine that? Actually, your imagination cannot even measure the greatness of this being. You say, what do you mean? This, this is, listen, this is, this is God. This is God the Word. This is God the Alpha Omega. This is the beginning, the end. This is the first, the last. This is the author and finish of our faith. He is Lord and He is Savior. Come on. I mean, this is it. And He takes of Himself 
and he reduces himself down to human form. Now, come on, church. He reduces himself down to human form and his entrance into the earth was not in some great cathedral someplace. His entrance into the earth was not in some great capital of some great nation. His entrance into the earth was in a lowly manger. Then he lived as a servant. Did you know if you'll study the Gospels, Jesus never took credit for any message he ever preached. Come on. He never took credit for any message he ever preached. He never took credit for any miracle he ever did. He never took credit for anyone he ever healed. He gave all the glory to the Father. He gave all the glory to the Father. Now we come to the point where he's becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now I'm telling you, church, you know, today execution is horrible. You say, Pastor, are you against capital punishment? No, you, you really can't be. Because there are some crimes that demand justice on that level. That's just the way it is. But I'm telling you, of all the ways to be executed, the cross is way down there at the bottom. You say, what do you mean? It is a horrific, horrible death by suffocation and torture. We'll study that. We come next week and we begin to look at the cross. It is, it is one of the worst deaths anybody could ever die. How the Romans ever figured that out had to be the devil itself because it is an absolute horrible way to die. But the Bible says Jesus became what? Obedient unto death even the death of the cross. But after his exaltation, after his humility and his open willingness to do the will of the Father, what came? Exaltation. Wherefore God hath what? Highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee must bow, of heaven, things of earth, and things under the earth. Oh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's an awesome, awesome revelation. Now back to Luke chapter 22 where we were last week. Let's go into chapter 23. We know Jesus had been betrayed, had been taken. Remember last week, uh, Peter cut off Malchus' ear. All that that took place, they took him into the Sanhedrin where the priests are. Now remember this about the priesthood. Because a lot of people get all stirred up about the priesthood. I heard, uh, uh, I've read several stories about World War II and all the crimes against the Jewish people and how in many of the death camps they put, this is what you get for what you did to Jesus. No, no, no. Everybody say, no, no, no. God had to raise up a priesthood that had the legal right to offer spotless lambs. Now let me say that again. They had to raise up a priesthood that had the legal right, that had the right by God. Listen, Rome couldn't have done this. Some other nation couldn't have done this. Only Israel, with, with its access to God, through what? A bleeding sacrifice, only they could have done this. Thank God they were there. Thank God they could have done this. You say, why not? If they couldn't have done this, we would not be here. We'd be lost, we'd be undone, we'd be without God, we'd be without hope, we'd be without heaven, and we'd be, we'd, we'd, we'd be without a Savior and a Lord. Come on, church. So the Sanhedrin take him. And they didn't know what they had. They begin to mock him. They begin to do all kinds of bad things to him. But see, they didn't have the legal authority there. Now let me say this. This will help you. 
as we get into chapter 23. All of the great nations of the world that had come before Rome were very barbaric. There was no, how could you say, there was no democracy. There was no way to get your day in court. There was no uh, uh, legal recourse for anything. I mean, the, the, the person that was in charge, if they didn't like you, they'd just kill you. They said, well, I don't like that. Well, that's just the way it was. The, 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 the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, uh, 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 the Egyptians, all these great cultures, they, listen, they, you, you, listen, you were either rich and important or you weren't. And there was no legal recourse for you. Let me just say it like this. There was no justice. There was no parity in anything. There was no law. There was just the demand and the command of leadership. That's all it was. They were brutal, absolutely brutal. Slaughtered millions of people because of their unrighteous ways of handling government. Now, Rome was different. Most of these great nations went in and they, they destroyed or they, or they took over the world through destruction. Left everything burnt down to the ground. Many of those cities over in the Middle East are built upon the rubble. And all, if you go through, an, if you do an archaeological dig, you see all the layers of all the centuries. And you can tell every time they got destroyed because they built the rubble or built the next city on the rubble of the last one. And some of them are built on six and seven layers. They've been destroyed so many times. But Rome was different. Rome somehow got the idea that they could better rule the world and govern the world if they left their army of victory or their army of conquest as an army of occupation. So they set up posts and places and they put leaders in there. And they also instituted, for the first time in the history of the world, a system of justice where there was actually a judge, a jury, and somebody that would literally make a claim or a decision based upon your complaint. People actually had rights. Roman citizens had rights. Amen? Now that was unheard of. They ruled the world through taxation. We knew that because they taxed uh, uh, all of Israel. Actually, the Bible says all the world. That was the world that they ruled was taxed at one time, and that was when Jesus was born. Now, they knew, the Sanhedrin knew, they did not have the authority to do that, that a higher judgment had to be made. And that judgment was left on the shoulders of Rome. Now, are you with me? Now, notice this. The whole multitude of them arose. Now, that's all the Sanhedrin and led him, or led Jesus, to Pilate. And they begin to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. So they're bringing up a political issue, saying, Hey, this guy's against taxation. You know, they figured that they'd get the attention of the government. Saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, and said Thou sayest it. You know what he said? He said, you got it, buddy. He said, are you, you the king of the Jews? He said, yep. That's what he said. He wasn't trying to hide it. Then said Pilate, now notice this. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people. Now notice this. I find no fault in him. Now notice, this is the most just government that had ever been on the planet. Pontius Pilate was given the authority to do what? To judge a man. The Sanhedrin had come. They had said all that they had said. They had brought their accusations. Pontius Pilate looked over the situation and he said this, I find no fault in him. Amen. Now we know the story how he was sent to Herod because Herod was also a ruler in the area in which Jesus was from. 
And Herod, he was a twisted person. His whole family was twisted. And basically, he didn't really care anything about judgment. What he wanted to see was a miracle. He thought, well, if I can get Jesus in front of him, maybe he'll do a trick for me, a parlor trick. Actually, if you study the scriptures, that's kind of what he thought. Maybe he'll have a, a parlor trick or a magic trick or do some kind of a miracle. And that didn't happen. So he just wrapped it up and sent him back to Pilate. Now, now pick, that, pick it back up there in verse, let me look here, in verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, now notice this, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him, nor... No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Now notice this. This is the second and third time. Everybody say second and third time. Now this is the second and third time he's declared spotless. Pilate is saying the second time. Then he's rehearsing the report he got back from Herod. I find no fault in him. And Herod finds no fault in him. You know what they're doing over and over and over? They're declaring him what he is. The spotless Lamb of God. Faultless, guiltless, no sin, no crime, nothing against the government, nothing against, uh, nothing against Caesar, nothing against the sand. They could find nothing wrong with him. Amen? Now notice, we'll go down a little further. It says, for of necessity, no, uh, verse 16, I will therefore chastise and release him. For of necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. Everybody say Barabbas. Who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Now, obviously God put this in the Bible and allowed this sovereign act to take place so that for an assurity, people say, well, you know, there, there had to be some reason. There was no reason. Let me say it again. The Bible says, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Jesus was pure. Jesus was spotless. There was no sin in Him. There was no iniquity. You say, well, how can that be? Wasn't He a man walking on the earth? But He did not inherit the fallen nature of Adam. His spirit on the inside was pure as God is pure, as righteous as God is righteous, as holy as God is holy. This is the holy, righteous Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one that would take away the sins of the world. Amen? And Pilate is fighting for him. Pilate recognized, one of the gospels said that his wife had suffered some things in a dream. He said, listen, she came to him and said, listen, don't have anything to do with this man. Don't have anything to do with him. And we know another gospel says that he went and he took a basin and he washed his hands in that basin saying, I wash my hands in this situation. You do with him what you want to, but Rome has no part in this. I have no part in this. This man is guiltless. This man has no get. And he washed his hands in front of the people and took his hands and went like this and said, 
I'll have no part in this. Amen. 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 No one could have ever crucified him. No one could have ever executed him. On the cross at one time, Jesus cried out and said, I could have called 10,000 legions of angels. And they could have turned this earth into a smoking cinder. But the love of God is so strong. The love of God is so compelling. He looked down through the eons of time and he saw you and he saw me. And the scripture echoed throughout eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the act of the giving of God. Using the, the, the purchase price of redemption. His only begotten son. Using the most just government on the earth to declare him over and over and over again. He is not guilty. He is righteous. He is holy. He is spotless and not worthy of this death. You know, there's been some things that's been unfair. Every time I see a man that has been in prison and somebody would take up his cause and, and go and, you know, do an investigation and find out, uh, who was that boxer? There was a boxer that, that, that was unjustly... Uh, Carter, I think, was his name. And, they, and, they, and they, 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 they unjustly put him in jail. And, and I think some students up in Toronto uh, took up his case and, and got it thrown out. And finally he was let go. That was unjust. But what they did to Jesus, I said what they did to Jesus was not only unjust, was not only wrong, but it was allowed by God and by Jesus in order to save you and I. I don't think we understand the depth of that. I don't, I don't think we understand the weight of that. Now let's go down to verse 26. It said, They led him away after a violent refusal of that which Pilate was trying to do. Pilate was trying to crucify Barabbas and not Jesus because Barabbas was worthy of death. Now this right here in type and shadow the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the innocent for a murderer is a type of the compassion of God in which even today that resonates throughout our world in which people who commit horrific crimes even before they're executed turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and make Him Savior. Which shows us today that salvation is not us being good Salvation is us being born again. Amen. Amen. Now begins the crucifixion. Verse 26, they led him away and lay hold of one Simon, a Cyrenian. Most Bible commentators say because of his geographical location, this was a black man coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And they followed him a great company of people, of women, women which also bewailed and lamented. And Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. For they shall begin to say unto us, the, Under the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? He's literally prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place a few years after this in 70 A.D. It says, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, Golgotha, everybody say Golgotha. The place of the skull, everybody say the place of the skull. There they, will crucify, there they crucified him and the malefactor, malefactors which are on the right hand and the other on the left. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Notice he didn't say, I forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. For he had submitted his will and he had submitted all that he was to the Father. So he went to a higher power. Within his own human capacity, forgiveness was not there. You say, what do you mean? Sometimes things happen to people in life in which you cannot find in your own capacity a way to forgive them. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have gone through things and you think, Pastor Rusty, I've tried over and over to forgive, but there still lies that on the inside of me, which is hurting, which is painful. Many times that's why people have such anger. If you find yourself in anger, you have to go back and find out, why am I so angry? Why is the hurt there? Amen. And literally, literally, Jesus said, Father, He wasn't going to be an angry Savior. The Bible says that He endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before Him. He knew the tomb would open and the tomb would inhale Him into itself, but He knew He would walk out of it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here He is. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Notice this. And they parted their, his raiment and they cast lots. That's why we don't gamble right there. I said, that's why we don't gamble right there. I said, Pastor, I couldn't find anything in the Bible that says thou shalt not gamble. Matter of fact, back in the Old Testament it said they cast lots. That's not even what they were not talking about, gambling. Literally, this is why at the base of the cross, at the place in which the blood of our Savior was running down a wooden cross and falling upon those guards, they were gambling right there in His presence. That's why I don't go to Las Vegas. That's why I don't play scratch games. That's why I don't play the lottery. I don't care if it goes to a trillion dollars. They did it at the foot of our our Savior, and that is a shame. Plus, it'll take your finances away. Las Vegas was not built on winners. Neither was the lottery. People stood beholding him. And the rulers with them derived him saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering vinegar and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now here, I want to conclude with this. Verse 39. What are the malefactors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, this paints a picture of salvation. Two men on the cross representing two mindsets in this world. And this is the only two mindsets in the world. The one that denies him and the one that looks upon him and asks to be remembered. Now what makes this so powerful is this. The one that said to him, Jesus, remember me when, I come, when you come into, my, in your, in come into your kingdom. What he could have said was, get me off the cross and I'll prove my holiness. I'll prove my worthiness. I'll give you a reason to save me. I'll change my ways. I won't be a thief anymore. I won't do anything worthy of this death. Give me an opportunity to prove myself to you. 
But Jesus was not on the cross to give men an opportunity to prove themselves to Him. He was on the cross to prove Himself to them. The other mindset of those that, that just berail Him, that spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. And it's terrible. Every time I hear of somebody that's an atheist, somebody's telling me a story the other day of a certain individual and I was listening to it and they were uh, telling all their problems and the situation and they said, and by the way, they're, and they called them this, they're a raging atheist, not just a, an atheist, but against all religion, against anything. They just, they just hate it. God haters. Christ haters. Those that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and the will of God. But on the other hand, there's the other side of the cross, which is all of us. Which the Bible says, it's not works of righteousness, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. You say, well, Pastor, why are you doing all these good works? Why are we giving all this money? Because something compels you once you get born again to be like Him. Something compels you to be unselfish. Something compels you to give of yourself the way Christ gave of Himself. Something compels you to pray, the, to, pray, to pray the prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Something compels you on the inside because iniquity has left the core reality of your being and righteousness has arrived. And as we get into the letters to the church, we'll see that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And all the righteousness that He is demonstrating on the cross, He carried into the grave, He carried into hell, He rose again, rose from the dead with it, then He imparted it unto us. So that we would not be in competition with one another, trying to see who was the holiness, trying to see who was the most pious, trying to see who could do the most good works. No, we would just be yielding unto Him and being a reflection of His nature. We would go and help touch the world with everybody else that believes the Word of God the way they should. Pastor, what would motivate you to go to Africa or go to the Philippines? Is it because you get to preach in front of a lot of people? Is it because people will pat you on the back and you'll get... That has nothing to do with it. I know that in nations of the world, I know that in Galveston Island, I know even in Island Church, there are people that are hurting, they're lost, they're undone, they're without God, they have no hope. And when I measure against the backdrop of what God has done for me, and then look into the Word of God and see His unlimited love and ability and His ability to do anything, nothing is impossible with God. It compels me to go out and not only live this in front of everybody, but also proclaim it with as much energy as I can. That's why I'm not getting weaker, I'm getting stronger. Amen. People say, well, you're over the hill, you're, you're retirement age. No, I'm, I'm fire up age. I'm looking forward to my 70s and my 80s with strength and anointing and power and the ability to convince people by the Word and by the Holy Ghost, look at this man, Jesus. So it all boils down to this. Matthew 16. You don't have to go there. I'll just quote it to you. Jesus with His disciples, after several chapters of miracles, several chapters of tremendous teaching, the Beatitudes, beautiful attitudes, a question in his own heart to his own disciples. Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, 
or some other great prophet. Now that's, listen, that's literally man's inability to look on the surface and see Jesus and understand who he is. But he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And I've always said this. This is not a question, this is the question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, 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 somebody was talking the other day and I was sharing some, some, some testimonies about what's going on in the Muslim nations, how Jesus is appearing to so many Muslims. I mean, literally appearing to them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the testimony of it to him did not seem near as, how can I say this, dramatic as it was to me. And literally, it posed the question as I began to communicate with this person. They said, well, they believe in Jesus. I said, yeah, but they don't believe in him as Savior." As Lord. They believe in Allah and His prophet Muhammad. But as far as believing in Jesus as the Savior, the Savior, the Lord, or as Peter says in just a moment, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus turned and said, Who do you say that I am? That's the question you have to answer. Who do you, and you, answer, you have to answer it every day. You answer it with your life. You answer it with your will. You answer it with every part of your being. It is something that must be perpetually answered in your life. Not just one time at an altar, but every day. Who do you say that he, he's the Christ, the Son of the Lord? That's not in my mind, that's in my heart. If it, is, if it is in your heart, then you will respond with faith accordingly. Peter, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus responds, blessed, that word is empowered. Empowered art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father that's in heaven. Redemptive truths from the Word of God are imparted through revelation. That means as you sit in these services and we teach on, on, on redemption, and all of a sudden you begin to see Jesus in a greater light. Not a different light, it'll always be a greater light. He gets bigger every time you see Him. He gets greater every time you see Him. He gets more holy. He gets more righteous. He gets more able. He gets more compassionate. He becomes more loving every time you see it. You can be assured. Now this is something that you have to understand. If you know right now, what's today? The 13th? January the 13th. 2019. What's our address? 2411? 2411 69th Street. Galveston, Texas. USA, planet Earth, we'll get you located, amen? <laughs> if you know, not believe, if you know Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, if you know that, then you did not get it from Pastor Rusty, you didn't get it from Billy Graham, you didn't get it from your grandma, you didn't get it from reading the Bible, the Father has visited you. The Father, I like to say it like this. He's come and He's handled your spirit. And He's left a part of the essence of Himself in you. If we could do DNA tests on our spirit man, we would find that in every person that knows that, your DNA has changed. Your spiritual DNA is You no longer carry the DNA of Adam's fallen race. You carry the DNA of that one that began to walk toward Calvary. You carry the one that allowed himself to be stretched upon that cross. You carry the DNA of the one that rose from the dead. And you carry the DNA of the one that is seated 
at the right hand of the Father. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now let me close. 12.20, right on time. What are you going to do with it? The greatest dilemma of life is how far will you go with this thing? You say, well, I'll go as far as Sunday morning. You'll find out that's not far enough. I'll go as far as Sunday morning, Wednesday night. You'll find out that's not far enough. Amen. You'll find out, I'll even give a little bit in the offering every once in a while. That's not far enough. Well, you know, I may chip in a little for that missions offering. Every while. That's not far enough. Amen? Well, I might even get one of those bookmarks and read a chapter a day. <laughs> How far do you go? You go as far as you possibly can in submitting your will to the will of the Father. That doesn't mean you can become a monk and go to some uh, uh, monastery and put a hood over your head and go mm, for the rest of your life. That means you surrender to the will of the Father totally. You know, this is an amazing fact if you study your Bible. In the book of Acts, all the teaching and preaching that's in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Lord 92 times. You know how many times he's called Savior? Twice. Two times. You say, why is that? Because it's easy to have a Savior. But a Lord is different. That word Lord means master, controller, one that is preeminent, one that sits on the throne of your heart. And a lot of people, they want Jesus as Savior. They don't want to go to hell. But Lord, hmm, I don't know about that. But in the book of Acts, which is the birthing of all that which Christ has done for us through redemption, He's called Lord 92 times. 92 times. And here this morning, you're going to have to decide in your own heart. Is He my Savior? Great. But is He your Lord? Is He your Master? Are you sold out to... You say, well, you know, you're a preacher and you have opportunity. No, 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 that's not... I know preachers in which Jesus is not Lord. He's Savior, but He's not Lord. I know people in the ministry, people in the mission field. He's not... They're, they're, yeah, they're, they, they think they're doing what God... But He's not Lord. Has nothing to do with where you work. Has nothing to do with where you go to school. Has to do with an attitude of your heart. Where you make a decision that this man's sacrifice is worthy of your life. This God's sacrifice is worthy of your life. And here's what I found out. Giving Him totally and 100% your life does not take anything away from you. It adds to you in ways you cannot imagine. Amen? Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you. I pray over every person here right now that in their hearts they recognize and see as we go very meticulously through this, what happened from the cross to the throne, that not only the portrait painted in the Gospels, but as we get into the letters of the church, and we see His sacrifice as our victory. We see His suffering 
was for our benefit. We see His death is for our life. That His resurrection gave us a brand new start. Let every person consider this morning what that means. Let Jesus become bigger in our eyes, in our minds, in our spirits, and in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessing upon this service. For these wonderful two men that are right with God, we thank you that their life will be a blessing upon the earth. Lord, as we travel this week, we claim Psalms 91. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your provision of protection and safety. In the righteous labor of our hands, medical field, education, up in the oil patch, wherever we go, whatever we do, Thank you we're not subject to evil men, evil plans, wicked devil, whatever it may be. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. We thank you for that provision of protection and safety. Open wide the door of utterance for us, Father. Let us be ministers of reconciliation, restoration, encouragement, laying hands and proclaiming the goodness of a loving God through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for who you are in our lives. We walk in love and faith towards you. We walk in love one toward another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord. Here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.